My name is Jackson, and joining me on the line is Thomas Flight of the YouTube channel Thomas Flight. How you doing, Thomas? Hello. I'm uh, doing good. I feel like you. I feel like every episode you introduce yourself by your own name, and then you introduce me and my channel. But you never mention your channel, so I feel like I, I should like introduce your channel for you. So uh, with me on with me on the line is Jackson <laughs> from Skip Intro. Oh yeah, thank so you. Go check out that channel if you <laughs> somehow are listening to this and don't subscribe to both of us. I'm I'm a terrible <laughs> self promoter, so. <laughs> Uh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so we are here to talk about the streaming news, all of the streaming wars we got going on with uh, Disney Plus launching last month and, you know, Netflix and all that, all that good stuff. And what we think is the most interesting bit of news is that the Golden Globe nominations came out, um, which don't matter. Awards are stupid, uh, but <laughs> but they tend to carry a bit of prestige. And even though the Golden Globes are for many reasons that you can find all over the Internet and I, I won't bore you with the details, they tend to be pretty biased. Um, they also tend to be big precursors for the Academy Awards, which tend to hold a lot more weight. Yes. And Netflix has the most Golden Globe nominations, which is wild to think about, um, even just a few years ago. Yeah, it's um, I, this is really I don't want to jump ahead of things here, but this is really interesting to me for two reasons. Um, one is what you just said, the fact that Netflix is 34 nominations overall uh, are leading the pack. And two, that um, a lot of the a lot of the buzz, even though they're nominated for TV and film, a lot of the buzz is actually surrounding films that they put out this year, namely A Marriage Story and The Irishman. Which which I've heard is cinema. I've heard. Uh, yes, I've heard the Irishman is definitively cinema, definitively confirmed cinema, which is it's it's interesting to me that these that there's there's these are. What am I trying to say here? We most of what we talk about and most of what I think about when I think about these streaming services is television. Um, yes. You know, uh, they certainly have films. A lot of them carry movies. But like if I think of a defining most people, Netflix is more synonymous with TV than it is with movies. But yet the films that they're producing are kind of leading the way in terms of like what's actually being talked about, uh, at least for Netflix this year. And like what has driven the most buzz, at least in the people that I talk to and the people I've heard from. I think I've heard more about these two movies than uh, a lot of the Netflix shows this year. Um, yeah. Which is interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that something that we've touched on on this podcast before is how much of a problem television, despite the fact that Netflix is known for its TV, how much TV has almost become a problem for them in the way that they kind of will drop an entire season and then it just kind of falls out of public consciousness. And yes. I think that 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 same release model has actually really worked quite well for um, these two films, The Irishman and A Marriage Story. The, the Irishman was uh, seen by more than 26 million Netflix subscribers in the first seven days, which is a ton. And yeah. is uh, they said that it's up to 
they're estimating 40 million will watch within the first 28 days. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is huge. And I think that the ability to create an event out of the dropping of something is something that Netflix has really been able to do. And they've really been able to leverage their size, which is something that we're going to talk about in a, in a minute. But I think that it really actually lends itself very well to movies, which is such a weird roundabout way for a company that started with movies uh, being sent in the mail and then moved to streaming television and now seems to be kind of doing all of that. Well, they don't really send movies anymore, but uh doing movies and TV at the same time, but maybe the movies are what, what is uh, actually going to work for them. Yeah. It's, and I think you hit on something there. That's, that's really fascinating, which is like the struggle with, you know, binge watching or binge dropping. I don't know what the term, maybe we should invent a term for dropping a season all at once, but Netflix kind <laughs> of invented that. But in a lot of ways, that's sort of, I think like they shot themselves in the foot in a way, which it's hard to tell because maybe they would never have grown. People like it. And maybe they never would have grown to the size that they've gotten to without doing that. Um, I think that's part of what has sort of like popularized the platform. Um, I see discussion where people are like they complain about uh, shows getting dropped weekly other places like Mandalorian on Disney Plus or they worry that that Netflix is going to start, you know, dropping shows on a schedule instead of all at once sidebar they should interesting sidebar but uh <laughs> but one yeah one side effect of that is like a movie you sit down you watch it in one piece you generally unless it's the irishman um <laughs> and and everybody's kind of can have seen the whole thing on that same day or within a few days all the people who want to talk about it can kind of synchronize their their viewing in a way that like facilitates discussion and buzz far better than like this sort of like vague two to three to four week period where it's viable to talk about a net a season of netflix tv after it comes out where not everybody is at the same place and and everyone's kind of walking on eggshells they kind of want to talk about it but they don't know any of the rules of how to talk about it yeah whereas in this case i have to imagine that uh 28 million or whatever it is for the irishman has that has to be a bigger number than the amount of people who would have gone to see this movie in theaters you know because to go out and you know sit through a three and a half hour film um is a lot more of a commitment than like sitting at home and being like oh maybe i'll like turn this thing on and i can pause it and stop and start it later and you know um yeah so i i think i think not only is netflix getting a lot of buzz out of this movie but i think this movie might be getting more buzz out of just being on netflix than it potentially would have even just through a more traditional theatrical release because it did actually come out in theaters a few weeks before it was on netflix and not that many people were talking about it Netflix, which is unusual netflix usually doesn't do that usually they do a simultaneous release and not that sure. wide of a release but they were treating this movie especially because of it's martin scorsese and he's particular i've heard i've heard that but anyway point is it was out in theaters and not that many people were talking about it aside from some critics that i follow or whatever 
I wonder how much of that was that it was a limited release and people knew it was going to be on Netflix. So nobody right. was like yeah. making the, 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 the trek, you know, um, no one's going to make very, the trek to a, to a obscure theater if they know that in two weeks it's going to be on their phone, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I totally, I totally think that you're right to point to the fact that it's getting buzz because it's on Netflix and because this is Netflix's like Scorsese plus Netflix while Disney plus is launching is just great news theater. And, you know, would this same thing happen in, you know, five years when everybody is making movies on Netflix all the time? I don't know. Yeah, no, I I think that probably more people have seen it because it's on Netflix than would have seen it just in theaters. And I think that they they're right to capitalize on that. And I mean, they're they're letting uh, directors make very good films. So I think that this could be the start of something really big for Netflix. Yeah. And we've seen I mean, we've seen Amazon do this kind of on the sly for a long time now. Um, they've been putting out pretty high like caliber, interesting movies um, for a while, but not a lot of people notice because they're just sort of they're acting more as like a almost traditional um, studio or distributor um, and yeah. just putting things out on like a pretty normal theatrical run. And then they get some award buzz or whatever. And then, oh, what do you know? You know, around the time that the Blu-ray would normally come out, it's also just on Amazon Prime Video. Um, yeah. And and just to name a couple of the movies that have come out uh, from Amazon Studios in the past couple of years, we have The Big Sick. We have Late Night this year, The Report, which is about uh, the Panama Papers, Beautiful Boy. Some stuff like that. Uh, Manchester by the Sea was technically and you were never really here or both uh, Amazon Studios productions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you're right. They're not they're not promoted in the same way as a big draw. They're kind of like Amazon being like, yeah, we can make movies, too. Right. The difference to me feels like Amazon is is in the is trying to get into the business of making movies and Netflix is putting movies on its platform. Yes. Um, which hopefully that distinction makes sense. But I think it's like it's mostly a positioning and marketing like distinction. Yeah. A um, production versus um, uh, distribution more. Yeah. I'm not, um, I'm not sure. You know, I, I get the feeling that Noah Baumbach, who made a marriage story and Martin Scorsese probably didn't get a whole lot of notes from Netflix while they were yes, making their yeah. their films, which was also the case when uh, they were making House of Cards in the beginning. And a lot of those early Netflix shows, um, a lot of the creators would say that they gave them basically no notes. And now that is starting to change. So maybe that would start to change in the future for Netflix as well. But the difference is that Amazon Studios is producing they are film producers and then they end up distributing it on amazon prime video whereas netflix yeah. is seems to be at this point just interested in signing talent letting them do their thing and then distributing it distributing yeah. it which i think is like it's, it's sort of the what's great about netflix as a platform and also i think potentially part of its downfall which is just like they're just willing to you know find some talent that they like and throw some some money just a little bit of money at those people just a little um <laughs> which can work out really great uh you know in some circumstances where it's like you know it's great for an artist to just be able to get funding for something and be able to do what they want to do with it i think 
the the flip side to that is sometimes with some of these shows, if you've ever, and I'm sure people, a lot of people have listening to this have had the experience of just being like, oh, let me try watching this random Netflix original that I haven't heard anything about. And then it's just like, this is pretty bad. Um, right. <laughs> the, the flip side of that is there's definitely some stuff made that it's like even just a little bit of maybe like uh production oversight you know that the kind that i have to think you might get from hbo or um some of these just like more experienced fx producers uh would like fix this show or make it better um, sure but uh but i guess you know maybe that's like you said people are starting to get notes and maybe that's something that they'll they'll develop over time especially as they start to become more uh let's say precious with the money that they're throwing around perhaps as competition stiffens sure i will say that after watching uh, a marriage story i don't have the highest regard for television producers but that's a conversation for the <laughs> later part of the podcast today i think what we want to jump to quickly before we talk about two of the these two movies um one of which I have seen and one of and both of which Thomas has seen um, is just the it's just a little update on the Disney plus Netflix battle that has been going on. Disney plus has been up for a little bit now. Um, I would say, what is it? Two months just about. Uh, yeah. And Netflix's internal data has been released or leaked or somehow Bloomberg got their their hands on it. And they basically are not seeing any dip in people leaving for Disney plus, even though Disney plus had 10 million users on the first day. Yeah. So I think that a lot of the discussion of the Disney plus Netflix battle has been focused on subscribers and just raw numbers. Um, but I think that we both kind of know that that's not exactly those are not just those are kind of measurements of something that's not just, you know, something that you just you put more money into it and you get more people, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And I guess the question is, do you think that this kind of award season stuff is going to give Netflix a major leg up? Or do you think that Disney Plus having a show like The Mandalorian that is in the conversation of everybody all the time in a way that no that a Netflix show hasn't really been for some time is more valuable? That's a hard that's a hard call. And I mean, obviously, there's were, no there's no answer right now. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion for sure. Um, I mean, briefly on The Mandalorian, it's something that I think we were both both, you know, on first impression, a little bit like uh skeptical on um you know we we weren't maybe as in love with it as a lot of people were and but we're we i think we were both sort of unsure like if this was really the show that disney plus needed to like carry the service in a sense and i mean i don't know if your opinion has changed regardless of your personal opinion on the show based on what i'm hearing from other people uh this definitely seems to be plenty um to carry the service i mean i've talked to a lot of people who just seem to like love this show this is the uh, show it, it's this it's is the show right now. a cultural uh phenomenon um you know so I, out of those out of those 10 million people who signed up on the first day and i'm sure it's it's got to be up to probably 20 or 30 million total now for for disney plus i i have to think that like almost all of those people are watching the mandalorian um, which is which is weird because it's a impressive. weird show. Um, yes, <laughs> I, I think, you know, my personal feelings about the show aside and we can we can get into that if you want. But um, I was at a party this weekend and 
that was like the icebreaker. The icebreaker yeah. that everyone was giving was like, so you see the Mandalorian? And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when Game of Thrones ended, there was this big, uh, amongst like TV critics circles, there were a lot of people who were like, is this the end of shows that we watch together? Um, if everything is coming out on different streaming services and everything is coming out and we're all watching it at different rates, what are we going to do? Is there going to be something that everybody is watching again? And this is the show. I mean, this it hasn't even been it's only been like seven months since Game of Thrones ended and we have another one. I don't think that it's the best show on television, but that's hardly ever mattered for the the most it's popular the most, or the most water coolery so, uh, show. It's the most show on television. It's right the most now. show on television. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great way of saying it. Yeah. Um, it's I'll say this. I don't think that the show is phenomenal. I think that it's a lot of fun. I think that talking about it is a lot of fun. It's super memeable between Baby Yoda and Carl Weathers just yelling Mando at the top of his lungs in yeah. every scene. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that those things make it very shareable on the Internet. It's very fun. And then I find I don't think that it's like an amazing piece of what Martin Scorsese would call cinema um, in that I don't think that it's like a, a super interesting anything. I think that it's fun and uh, that's that's fine. But I think that it's interesting to see how many people are bending over backwards to find reasons why people don't like it or find reasons why they want to justify it. Um, I've seen yeah. people say, you know, oh, the the, the hatred towards or I don't even know who's hating on the Mandalorian. Uh, I feel like I am the, the strongest <laughs> critic and I'm not hating on it. Yeah. Okay. I'm telling you guys right now, I don't hate it. Uh, <laughs> but they, they were like, the reason people don't like the Mandalorian is because TV has destroyed humanity basically in that they, everyone needs to have something with 8 million mysteries and the Mandalorian is just, you know, one story at a time, which is, um, uh what's the word i'm looking for ridiculous that's ridiculous um yeah. because there are tons of tv shows that do that and they're great and there are tons of tv shows that have been doing that for decades and they're great and um i you know i think that it's just telling that people are trying to find reasons to justify which they they don't need to this is a this is a very fun show it's very it's good you know it's fine it's good and like that's all there is to say about it i don't yeah, know yeah no i i i'm pretty much i'm pretty much there with you it's uh yeah it's a fun show and um that's pretty much what i have to say about it he still uh, loses too much and- okay this is still my number one complaint <laughs> i feel like i'm just constantly watching him to get his ass kicked and he's got super armor so he can't really take a ton of damage and that's seems to be a superpower but i don't know if that's like really that special to him or just i'm getting sidetracked um <laughs> yeah yeah my my brother who, who i watched this show with uh we were watching episode five the other night and he was pointing out he was like he was like this guy is supposed to have this crazy like reputation where people are like "Ooh, a mandalorian or the mandalorian or whatever but then like almost everyone or half the people he run runs across are like very skeptical of his reputation they're like oh are you really all that or whatever and it's like it's this weird like <laughs> i don't know i think the show is just like and they also seem to like put up a really good fight like they it doesn't seem to like inhibit anyone from taking a shot at him you know right they're not like what's he gonna do to me i better not 
like piss them off they're like oh what if the fuck ever i don't care (laughs) (laughs) i think the show is not quite sure what it wants that character to be or like who that character is and maybe that'll become more fleshed out over time but uh but the reality is it doesn't have to be because everybody's just going to keep watching it just to see baby yoda so i I got one more uh one more thing to say about the mandalorian before, all right and then we'll get back to actual and then and then you're you're cut off until then i'm cut off okay but the show that actually makes me think uh that reminds me the most of the mandalorian is is buffy the vampire slayer in that it was a monster of the week show it's followed like a super powered person and the mandalorian misses like all of the things that made buffy great in that she wasn't losing all the time but she was still very compelling and she was dealing with other things all the time and the mandalorian seems to be just kind of about him fighting but not being great at it i don't know i still don't know what the fuck this show is uh (laughs) and it and because everyone is talking about it i feel like i have to continue talking about it and um it's uh if you can't tell it's driving me a little crazy uh (laughs) uh anyways i promise we're gonna start talking about a marriage story soon and thomas is gonna give us his thoughts on the irishman but because i didn't watch it but um i think that it's worth just circling back to the Disney Plus uh, versus Netflix battle that we have going on and tying it into those awards. As we mentioned, Netflix has the most Golden Globe nominations because of its movies. And um, at first I was first thinking I and doing prep for this pod, I was like, oh, I'll go back and see how many movies Disney has made that have been nominated for Best Picture. And my memory was that none of them had been nominated since Toy Story 3 in 2010, which is almost right. Uh, Black Panther was nominated last year or two years ago, and Netflix had Roma last year as well. But then I remembered that Disney bought Fox, and that also gives them claim to Bohemian Rhapsody, movies like Ford vs. Ferrari, Favorite, and Jojo Rabbit. Uh, The favorite was nominated was uh, probably my favorite movie of last year. Bohemian Rhapsody obviously did very well at the Oscars and Jojo Rabbit seems poised to do at least some damage in the awards award season. I'm not sure that they're the same level of frontrunner status that Marriage Story and The Irishman are appearing to be. And as Roma was last year, although, again, Roma did not win. So maybe that doesn't really matter. But I don't associate any of those movies that I, I mentioned, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Jojo, as Disney movies. While Marriage Story, Irishman, and Roma are all firmly within the Netflix brand. Um, yeah. And I'm not really sure how to parse that. This ties into, I mean, kind of the question you were asking before we derailed into uh, Baby Yoda <laughs> is like, is like, how much, how much is the, is the awards buzz going to help net over these movies going to help Netflix versus like, how much is Baby Yoda helping Disney Plus? Right. And part of this is that like, until what Disney Plus is and what content from Disney is on that platform is more like fleshed out and more understood. And, and some of these other Disney entities are like maybe more tied into the Disney brand. Like if Jojo Rabbit wins Best Picture this year, it's going to do no- nothing for Disney Plus unless they immediately put it on Disney Plus and they're advertising that 
but like people don't yet associate Jojo Rabbit or this like Fox brand with Disney. And if they do, they're not necessarily thinking like, oh, Disney Plus is where I go to watch that thing. They'll just they're just going to watch it in theaters like they always do or maybe get the Blu-ray or maybe if they have Disney Plus, they'll watch it on there. Whereas like Netflix already has this brand that's tied up in these movies there that are coming out. And if The Irishman or A Marriage Story wins Best Picture, people aren't going to wait for the Blu-ray to come out if it ever even does. They're just going to go on Netflix and watch it. Absolutely. And so I think until Disney like shifts some things with its branding to make this more clear or like to tie things together, like these these movies that they have through Fox that might be getting awards buzz aren't actually doing aren't going to do them much or anything in terms of selling Disney Plus. Right. Um, and none of them I, I just searched it and none of them are on Disney Plus at the moment. There's an interesting thing here, which is like prior to Disney Plus, Disney was just in the business of basically like selling individual movies aside from like the larger franchises, which you're like selling the movie and the next movie and then merchandise in a in a park or whatever. But like for the most part, they're selling a movie that you go to, you buy that movie, you buy a disc of that movie, you go see it in theaters. It's like it's a thing. Netflix has always been in just the business of selling Netflix. Like Netflix is not trying to sell you an individual movie or show. They're just always trying to sell you a subscription to Netflix. They're not trying to send you to the movies. Right. They're not trying to sell you toys. It's just like they have this one goal, which is sell you Netflix and keep you subscribed to Netflix. And because of that, their like brand is really intimately tied to these things. Um, and so I, I think we could see like a decent boost or draw for, for Netflix, you know, if if some of their if they win some awards or even just having this award buzz, um, because the easiest way if people, if everyone's talking about a marriage story because it wins you know, best picture, the easiest way to see it is just get Netflix and you probably already have that. So just keep it. Or if you don't, you know, it's easy to get, you know, just get a subscription or ask your roommate for their password. Right. And, you know, so I don't know, I could be wrong there, but my, my feeling with this is that like the awards matter much, much more to uh to netflix right now than they do to disney um, absolutely in terms of like their business models okay i think that's a good place to leave that conversation um yeah. and transition into um our content discussion for this week um every week we talk about one show or movie or piece of content piece of that juicy juicy ip um and how it kind of encapsulates everything that we've been talking about and um today we're going to talk about a marriage story and thomas might talk a little bit about the irishman which uh again i did not see but i did see a marriage story and uh this is noah bomback's movie which is getting a lot of oscar buzz and uh golden globe buzz before that it's about a long and painful divorce between adam driver's character and scarlett johansson's character and um let's start with you thomas what did you think of this movie or or if you want to start by talking about the irishman um no i'll start with this uh i i enjoyed it it's well made uh i i i like the performances from scarlett johansson and uh laura dern and ray Liotta and uh adam driver um I wasn't sure you were going to mention him right there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say him next, but then I decided to to say Laura Dern second. So, OK, um, well, is that is that in order of your preference of, of performances? Um, Not not necessarily. I actually okay. think Driver is an excellent actor, and I think it's kind of unfortunate that like a lot of what a lot of people know him now is Kylo Ren. Um, yes, because he's, you know, 
fantastically underused uh, as Kylo Ren, and he's he he is pretty interesting in some other stuff. I also think like similarly with Scarlett uh, Johansson, she's a phenomenal performer as well. But like a lot of what people think of her now is like whatever she plays in Marvel, and also people think that all the stupid stuff she says all the time, right? The dumb stuff she says, or being in like you know Ghost in the Shell or whatever. Um, but it's like at the end of the day, if you put her in an, in a role that's interesting, like she's she's good at what she does. She's um, I mean, she's unbelievable in this movie. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if she wins the the Oscar. I'll let you finish your thought. I'm so sorry. I was kind of wrapping up, but I I, I like all that. Um, I find Noah Baumbach is like an interesting director to me. I feel very like conflicted on him. Uh, I don't think I love him like quite as much as like it seems like everybody does. <laughs> um, there's there's some things that he does that I love. You know, we can maybe get into that in more like more specific details later. But like it seems like he makes like one type of movie, which is like all the movies by themselves are good. Sure. Or not all of them are good. They're they're well made films but like if you look at this and squid and the whale and the Myorowitz stories it's like it's all dysfunctional families and they're all a little bit like autobiographical in certain ways and it's just like i don't know there's a part of me that like while each work unto itself is interesting to me like the broader picture of him and like the art he's creating just feels a bit like redundant and uh like i don't know it's hard for me to remove the artist Sure. And the context of him creating all this stuff from like the individual work at this point. But that's just for my own personal enjoyment. That's not necessarily like a specific critique of this film. But I'm curious what you what you thought of it. So I have the the pleasure of not uh, having seen any of his movies before. So uh, <laughs> so I don't bring in. Well, any, there you go. I don't bring in any of that uh, baggage. Um, I think that if I had seen a movie like this several times from in the same kind of style. I think I probably would feel the same way you do. I I really liked this movie. I thought it was very good. Um, I don't think that it's my favorite movie of the year. I don't think uh, that it's the best movie I saw this year. But I did really, really like it. And it did make me cry. And, you know, I haven't I haven't gotten that from a Netflix movie before. Um, <laughs> and I think that Scarlett Johansson has a real shot at winning uh, Best Actress. She has a big monologue scene early in the film which is huge for a movie that you can quit at any point with being on Netflix. Yeah. I think that she is, I think she's great in it. I think that it's well-written. Um, and I think that it's something that is unspoilable, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing happens in this, this movie that you wouldn't expect walking in. Right. Yeah. I think that it plays all of the beats that you know are going to happen from the moment you know that they're getting divorced. And still, I think that it's really powerful because it's just so genuine and honest. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that that also makes it really good to be on on Netflix is that it doesn't really matter if uh, people haven't seen it. Like the, you're not going to get it spoiled for you on Twitter or something. So people can yes. always talk about it. You know, there's that meme going around of Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson arguing and people just putting anything they want in it. That comes at a very climactic part of the movie, but it absolutely does not spoil anything uh which is kind of right. kind of weird um it doesn't take any of the the wind out of the sails of that that moment partially because they're just very good in that moment and it, the whole movie just feels very very lived in um which might be another great thing about being on netflix is that 
it doesn't feel it doesn't need to feel as like transportative as something like um, since we've been talking about Disney, some of those uh, Marvel movies uh, where you kind of lose something if you're not in the theater watching it with all these other people when uh, Captain America picks up Thor's hammer or something um, right. that that moment is very palpable because you're with a bunch of other people and because it's on this giant screen and there's this epicness to it. This movie is very is very small. Um, it's about just a very simple thing. Um, there's no twist ending. There's no you know. There's no ex- there's no extended universe. You know, <laughs> we're not gonna. Yeah. yeah. There's not something sitting around the corner, but um, it it's still powerful. Yeah, it's no parasite, but it's very good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much. I mean, this would this would probably be like. I mean, this is on my like. This is this movie is on the list of ones I'd I'd throw in the hat for like best of the year. But it it's not the best of this year just because there's some other really great films this year that have you know uh, surpassed it. But it's a very solid film. Yeah, it's very. It's like it is. I love that point you're making that it's not spoilable because it's it's very personal. It's very like you could know exactly somebody could tell you exactly what the plot of this movie is beat for beat. And then you could go watch it and I think get just as much out of it because it's about the emotion of those moments that the characters are in. And also, like, I think it does something really well that, like, you know, film and TV do that I think, you know, is maybe harder to convey in some other mediums. But, like, it it portrays sort of a conflicted emotion or, like, mixed emotions. Yes. Um, really well, uh, which is fascinating and something I like and something that I think is really hard to do. But it's something that is very, like, we've all experienced sort of that, like, hating and loving someone or, you know, that, like, just mixed emotions about things uh, are very human and real, but at the same time, for whatever reason, I think very difficult to like portray in art. But this is a movie that I think like does that pretty deftly. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's cool. Yeah, I think I think uh, one more thing I just want to say is that they're they're both kind of villain and hero. Um, they they both done really shitty things in their relationship and they've also both been they've also had shitty things done to them you know they've both been victim and and perpetrator at the same time um the question i want to ask you is does any of that stuff also ring true for the irishman which um i'm sure people are very interested or probably more interested to hear about than marriage story um i don't know well i i think there is a, a similar thread i wouldn't say the irishman is unspoilable um but there's a similar thread in that um i've had this experience i've seen it a couple times now um and i've seen this from other people who have been re-watching it uh, i saw it once in theaters and then i've seen it twice since it came out on netflix it's like a whole day that's like that's like 24 hours worth of material i like right this there. movie yeah it's <laughs> it's a lot of, that's like a whole season of tv but it's just the irishman um <laughs> But it's a very rewatchable movie. So like there are things that you could spoil in this. But I think like even after you pass that moment, you know what's what's going to happen. A lot of it is just about these like scenes and the relationships and moments between like the characters, but also between like sort of these aging actors being reunited um, and maybe having their like almost like last hurrah. Uh, That's kind of morbid, but like hopefully not. But like, you know, to a certain extent, seeing like I think that they've been pretty upfront about it. We're probably not going to see Joe Pesci and De Niro like together again on screen. So it's like in a Scorsese movie that also has Al Pacino. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, yeah. And in a similar way, like there's there's emotion there 
that I think is ultimately like more important than the plot um, that you really do get to kind of like, I don't know, there's a rewatchability to it. And, um, you know, I've I've seen people talking about how like they've gone back and rewatched it and they like watching it on Netflix at home because they can go like rewatch certain scenes or they can just go in and, you know, watch a specific scene that they want to see again or something, um, which is an interesting like a very interesting way to like approach a movie, especially one of this length that like you couldn't have really done in the past. Uh, you have to go to YouTube in, for it. In, yeah. In the first like, you know, month that it's been out. So I don't know. That's that's interesting to me. But yeah, it's definitely it definitely strikes me more as like a, um, you know, to use a really pretentious term, like cinematic experience than something like a marriage story is. It's a, it's a bit of a bigger movie. But watching them both as much as I love theaters, um, watching it in theaters and at home, I would say I didn't get any less out of it watching it at home on Netflix than I did uh, in a theater. So that was my personal experience. Um, the I think the most interesting thing to me about The Irishman as it relates to just sort of like the platform of Netflix is its length and sort of the discussion that has surrounded the length. There was like a lot of people who were complaining about how long it was, which I found to be funny because <laughs> Netflix is sort of the place where like everyone goes to like binge eight hours of Stranger Things in one day. Um, I think, but I, I, think I don't know if there's is... like a psychological uh, like difference when it comes to like a movie and it being one chunk. I think there is. I think um, I think well, we talked about Stranger Things um, at some point. It might have been our our test pod that we keep referencing. Um, but I think that those are kind of like, all right, now's a good time to go to the bathroom moments. And uh, I think that yeah. people were people were just in, I, I think that people were intimidated by the three and a half hour if I get away, if I sit up, if I stand up or go to the bathroom from watching this, I'm going Am I to gonna miss something or or I'm going to take something out of this experience. It's not meant right. to be watched that way. I'm yeah. defacing yeah. it. Do I really want to like I have to sit it sit through it for three and a half hours? I don't know. Um, I know that that is speaking personally. That's a little bit of my uh, trepidation. I, I find it kind of, I don't know, a, a funny discussion because it's sort of like I would like if somebody's interested in watching The Irishman, uh, it's one of my favorite movies from the year. I'd rather somebody just watch it over the course of five days if that's how they have time to watch it than like just never watch it. Gotcha. You know, it's like it might detract from it somewhat to be breaking it up into pieces because it's kind of built as this larger unit and if you break break there's something powerful about watching it all at once and like sitting there for a full almost four hours but like you know it's it doesn't detract enough that it ruins the whole movie and you should just never watch it um you know if you don't have time to like sit down and watch 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 it all in one shot um you could easily divide it into into two uh two parts or three parts or whatever and and watch it over a couple evenings but yeah it, it, it's it's funny to me partially because like i know this feeling myself of like sometimes the idea of watching a three-hour film seems so daunting but i'll just breeze through like three episodes of succession uh, <laughs> in a night 
which is essentially the same amount of you know runtime. But I think we're only going to see that sort of like not problem, but like weird artifact of sort of like this convergence of film and TV onto the same platform more. Um, and yeah. maybe we'll eventually understand why that psychological like distinction exists so much. I mean, well, you gave good reasons, you know, because you saw like uh, um, what's his name? Quentin Tarantino put a special version of The Hateful Eight up on Netflix. That was a miniseries. Um, he did? That yes, sounds cool. He, he broke the mini. He broke. Uh, it, it, he released the extended version of the Hateful Eight as a miniseries. So it like added an, an hour or a half hour or something. I but am more interested in that. He divided um, it into four parts. Um, this is this is a conversation for another time. But I actually think that um, a lot of Tarantino stuff would be better served as a miniseries where he can take episodes to dive into his like diverse cast of, yeah. of characters because he kind of does that anyways and it kind of feels weird and it, it kind of works that way anyways but um yeah i wish he would make a show he would make a phenomenal television show um just the way he writes and edits and like constructs these like mini stories within his broader story i think you're right would definitely like serve that really well um but yeah, uh, anyway, you can cut all the Irishman stuff out because I don't feel like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, cool. So Marriage Story, thumbs up. Uh, the Irishman, thumbs up. And maybe the, you know, these are definitely some movies that are to keep an eye on in awards season and what they mean for Netflix. Uh, the last thing we like to do before we end the pod, uh, starting, you know, last month, uh, but now going forward, this is a thing we want to do, <laughs> is uh, give uh, quick recommendations of something that we've been watching. Um, I went first last time, so Thomas, why don't you go first this time? I will do that. Uh, this time <laughs> I'm going to recommend a the second season. I mean, I guess I'm recommending both seasons. The second season just came out on Netflix of uh, Magic for Humans. I have and not heard of this. It, I, I wouldn't normally get to talk about it because it's not anywhere in the wheelhouse of this kind of like TV or movies that I generally talk about. But this is just a little show um, where a guy named Justin, I can't even think of his last name, uh, Justin Willman, uh, he does street magic and but he does it in just this very like wholesome way. Uh, it's kind of funny. It's kind of corny. I, but I like the way he plays with the idea of doing filmed street magic. There's always been that thing with street magic where I'm like, did they just edit that weird? Like, is that is right. that really what the the, the the gag is there? Yes. Um, and of course, they always say no editing was involved or whatever. Um, but I think he plays with like he plays with the format in a really interesting way that makes you like that convinces you that he's not editing it or shows you i don't know he just does unique things to sort of like uh play with that format in an actually convincing and interesting way and it's very self-aware um of that like sort of doubt that i think the audience has inherently of like street magic but anyway it's just a small little thing very short episodes very wholesome there's two seasons out now and it's fun if you like magic if you like going how did that even happen <laughs> watch it um so that's my recommendation here because you know what am i going to do make an essay about street magic <laughs> i mean you could I, I could i could do that <laughs> maybe i will <laughs> it might be just niche enough to work yeah yeah um now you're making me like rethink what i want to i'm gonna go with um 
for for my recommendation, I'm going to go with the newest season of The Expanse, which just came uh, back onto Amazon. Uh, if you don't know, The Expanse is like this hardcore uh, sci-fi show that used to be on the uh, uh, the channel, the the sci-fi channel, uh, surprisingly, and it's uh, hard. It's hard sci-fi as opposed to soft sci-fi, where uh, half sci or soft sci-fi is kind of you know, it's like Star Wars, like it's kind of they kind of can yada yada some of it um you know it's the force or whatever um the expanse is like super um hard sci-fi in that the physics have to make sense everything has to make sense um in the logic of the show and also the technology that they're talking about and all this other stuff and um it's really cool to see a show um just create this this fresh world um and to kind of think about how we would be in that new world um it got canceled after three seasons but then amazon swooped in and saved it and apparently pumped a ton of money into it because the new season looks phenomenal it switches aspect ratios sometimes um so sometimes it looks like incredibly filmic um like it looks like the movie prometheus um like it looks like that kind of production quality and it's just it's just a really good television show and it's it's kind of gone under the radar uh at times it probably should be talked about in higher regard but because it's like such genre fair i think that that kind of is a a knock against it and also is like a barrier to entry for a lot of people and uh i don't i don't blame them but uh i do think that it is very good and if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff you can check out all four seasons on amazon prime i've uh, seen my brother watching it i've never checked it out myself but it looked the stuff that i saw looked very cool well if you're thinking uh, about checking it out i would recommend my video essay why you should watch the expanse uh, uh, but no i i think that it's in all seriousness i do think that it's it's really interesting to see a show try to create a world um you know all yeah. these shows so many shows and so many pieces of media try to create worlds um and this one is like so fully thought out and i know that it's like a book series and people love the books and some people love the books more than the show. But I think that to see these kinds of things happen on screen is just really fresh and interesting. Like there's this uh, there's this like fight scene where they have this the ship and they're getting in a gunfight with another ship and they like basically decompress the entire inside of their ship and uh, go into their spacesuits so that when bullets start ripping through the hull, it doesn't like shoot them in various directions or just like oh, suck nice, them out yeah. and all this other stuff. And they're like, you can feel like all of the G force of the of every maneuver that they're making, and they have like these drugs for this kind of thing. And there's this other scene where they're going in one direction and they need to turn around, and it's like this huge ordeal because they're going so fast and they need to flip and then start burning in the other direction. Um, just the stuff like that is really is really really interesting, and uh, they talk about a lot about people in that kind of environment. Anyways, I've rambled quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> Where can they find you, Thomas? People can find me at uh, at youtube.com slash Thomas Light. There you go. That is, uh, that is where I reside. <laughs> you can find my YouTube channel at Skip Intro on YouTube. And uh, you can also follow my writing about TV at, uh, I usually tweet it all out. So that's Jackapin2, uh, J-A-C-K-A-P-N-2. Um, I was really drunk when I made it in college. And... Uh, <laughs> 
such and as life. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, we'll be back next month to talk more about streaming news and uh, probably the end of the, the Mandalorian, which will undoubtedly break my brain and maybe I won't even be here. We'll be back in 2020 with our predictions for uh, most anticipated or with our most anticipated shows of the year. Oh, we will? Our annual most anticipated shows of the year list. Yeah. Oh, cool. I like uh, that. <laughs> this is news to me, but I like it. <laughs> you can tell how much planning goes into this podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Talk to you guys later. Great. See ya.